this one. A long time have I watched. All his life as he looked away to the future, to the horizon, never his mind on where he was, hmm? what he was doing. Adventure. <laughs> Excitement. <laughs> A Jedi craves not these things. You are reckless. So was I, if you remember. He is too old. Yes, too old to begin the training. But I've learned so much. Will he finish where he begins? I won't fail you. I'm not afraid. You will be. You will be. Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone. So pull up a chair. Get comfortable and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the very exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 434, Top 10 Original Trilogy Moments, Part 2. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the low gray to my wicket, we've got Carl LeClaire. Oh, yes, I love low gray. Oh, I will be the shaman of this podcast forever. Thank you, my friend. Oh, you... Yeah. Nothing like some Wicket or some Ewok love to open the show. It's so good. Oh, I know, I know. I, I, I t- For those of you who don't know, Carl never knows what I'm going to introduce him as um, <laughs> at the beginning of the show. And I I told him, oh, I've got a good one, and had this, this kind of silly laugh about it. And he was like, that's a little ominous. And I was like, well, I know you're going to like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, whenever you chuckle when you get him, I know they're going to be a good one. So... Um, but that that said, I mean, if you if you're Wicket and I'm Logray, I feel like this episode is now no longer our top five moments from the original trilogy. Now this is going to become a top ten moments from the Caravan of Courage, right? Is that what yep. we're doing? Yep. <laughs> okay, great. <Yep. laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> we we're we're happy to be back for uh, to finish out our favorite moments from the original trilogy. Uh, this has been so fun revisiting so many great moments from the classic. Uh, Star Wars trilogy. Um, but Jason, before we get into our favorite moments from those movies, we asked everyone else what their favorite moments from the original trilogy was, and folks were really generous with their responses. What did what did everyone have to say in this particular poll? Well, here's what I learned uh, from this poll, is that everyone has their own favorite, and it's amazing. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, for third place with one vote each, here, here's the thing. Number one only gets three votes because everyone has their own favorite, which is amazing. Uh, but in third place with, with one vote each, we have, uh, Han chasing the troopers on the Death Star, you know, uh, and then having to run away from them. 
the speeder bike chase on Endor, uh, Lando's cheer as the Death Star is about to explode um, in Return of the Jedi, the solo shrug uh, at the Endor bunker as the troopers walk out and are surrounded by Ewoks, Um, the throne room from A New Hope, Luke reaching out to Leia in Empire Strikes Back, Obi-Wan's sacrifice on the Death Star, the binary sunset, and the Yub-Nub Ewok celebration got a vote. Um, in second place, with two votes each, we have I'm a Jedi, like my father before me, Vader versus Luke on Death Star 2, and the removing of Vader's mask and Anakin's redemption. I kind of lumped those together. Um, and then in first place, with three, three votes... We've got the Vader versus Luke duel on Bespin in Empire Strikes Back. So, wow, that's uh, so cool. There you have it. Yeah. Lots of good moments, many of which have been covered, some which will still yet to be covered, and some which will probably not be covered. And that's that's so cool. I love I love that folks weighed in like they did. Um, yes. So we so ha- Carl, yeah. Carl and I are not answering this poll right now because that's what our whole episode is about. So, right. <laughs> of course. Um, so yeah, that said, we'll have a uh, a fun new matchup for you at the end of the episode, and just wanted to let everybody know that. Uh, so obviously, we've been going through doing our top ten moments from subsequent trilogies. We are going to be going to the sequel trilogy next, as one would do chron- uh, chronologically. But before we start our our look at the sequel trilogy moments we love most. We are going to be joined by, uh, you know, our good friend, uh, kind of the the grandfather of the Wampus Lair, if you will, Riley Blanton, the creator and host of the Star Wars Report. Which, if any of you listen to us, there's a good chance you're you're also listening to Star Wars Report, or might even at least be familiar with them. Uh, Star Wars Report is one of the longest running Star Wars podcasts to date. Riley's one of the longest sitting regular Star Wars podcast hosts, and he has recently announced the uh, retirement of the Star Wars report um, early next year. So they're they're on their countdown to episode 500, and at episode 500, the Star Wars report will be retiring um, because Riley's got a lot going on in life, and he's, he's chosen to make that big step. And Riley will be with us in our next episode to talk about the journey of doing Star Wars podcasting, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun reminiscing about conventions together and what it's been like making podcasts for so long. I mean, Riley was there the day we conceived Wampa's Lair and immediately said, will you be part of our network? And we were like, sure. <laughs> um, it's right. been, been nothing but a huge help to us all these many, many years. So we're so excited yeah. that he'll be with us next week to to tell a little bit about his own journey uh, as a Star Wars podcaster, because like I said, he's one of the longest ones out there. And if I may say, one of the kindest and most thoughtful folks I know in the community. So super excited to have him next week with us. Absolutely. Um, very much excited to, to talk with him about all that, sort of the, the genesis of the Wampa's Lair uh, and the Star Wars report and just kind of how that journey has been for him. It's funny that he's the grandfather of the Wampus Lair, considering that he's younger than both of us. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it is kind of true. Um, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen Riley, let alone talked with him. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to having him on the show next, next episode. 
Yeah. And, and, and even for those of you, even if you're like, I don't really know who Riley is or the Star Wars Report, again, maybe you should check it out because it is a great show. But also, secondly, I think it's going to be a great conversation just about a little bit about like how is Star Wars podcast different? Because, you know, Jason, you and I are also some of the longest running as, as well. I don't mean that to sound arrogant, um, but we've been around for a while and there's been a lot of changes in the Star Wars podcasting world in, you know, nearly 10 years. So I feel like we're going to have yeah. just a, a really fun, introspective conversation. So if that's something that interests you, I definitely encourage you to, to, to tune into the next episode. Um, yep. But all that to say. You're not here for what's coming up. You're here for what's going on now. And Jason, yeah. let's just get right to it, my friend. Original trilogy, top five moments. Um, I think mine have danced around a little bit since we last did this episode you know, over nine years ago. Um, but relatively similar list from what I can remember. Um, so uh, I'm going to kick yeah. off. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. On that on that note, yeah. I will say there's a lot of my top five is probably pretty similar to what it was years ago when we first discussed this. I know there is one for sure that wasn't anywhere on my list that is in there now, and I think some of the orders of the other stuff might have changed a bit. But uh, you know this this list is definitely going to be I'm guessing pretty on brand for both of us. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to kick us off by taking us to Return of the Jedi, a moment that was just mentioned on the poll, which is that epic battle between Luke and Darth Vader aboard Death Star 2, their lightsaber combat. Uh, You know, I mean, obviously, last week I talked about the, the battle in Cloud City between Luke and Vader. I've always just slightly preferred this fight, even though it's a shorter fight. There's 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 just a maturity to it because you kind of have both of them really squaring off more as equals. Like obviously in Empire, Luke is very much the the uh, the baby of that fight, but here he's yeah. he's really come into his his fighting prowess, and you know he has become so much better as a as a combatant, mainly because of his deeper trust and connection to the Force. Is is what I say, the reason Luke is able to hold his own against Vader in this fight, as opposed to where he was in Empire, right? When he when he rushes off from Dagobah, you know, he says, I feel the force, but you cannot control it. Luke can now control it, right? He's got a, a solid relationship, a confident relationship with the force, and it allows him to be able to to take on Vader quite, you know, evenly in this fight. Um and, uh, you know, this is a question I always like to ask, and I, I'm, I've probably asked you at some point over the years, Jason, but do you think Vader is holding back in the fight? Oh, um, yes, mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say necessarily for altruistic reasons, but because Palpatine wants to turn Luke, mm, uh, at least yeah. initially. Right, right. At least initially. Um, he's there to keep Luke from killing Palpatine and then to help draw things out so that his master can have his way. So, although I think the the, the shift in, in that does take place towards the end of the duel, um, especially when, you know, after he, you know, taunts Luke about his sister, you know, and Luke just goes ham all over him. You know, it's yeah. just like, okay, maybe, maybe we shouldn't <laughs> do this. That and that yeah. probably felt a little icky to yeah. Vader 
inside. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and so I'm with you. I, th- I think he's holding back a bit, but I also think Luke is holding back. Um, oh, because you know, especially the, like, again, like after he goes after him, threatening his sister, that's a different story. But at the initial fight here, I think both of them are holding back because Vader doesn't really want to kill him. Luke definitely doesn't want to kill his father. He's very much fighting the defensive fight at first, right? Um, but something that, to me, tells me that Luke is just as good in this fight is when he kicks Vader down the stairs, right? Like, I, I like how it's it's drawing back on quick little things that we got in the Cloud City fight. So when Luke falls down the stairs in the Carbonite Chamber, Vader almost flies down to stand above him, right? And there's that thud, like this this power move. Well, when Luke yeah. kicks him and he kind of flips backwards a few times, like you can tell he's using the force, but it's apparently such a powerful kick that he still lands on his butt, right? So so Luke has a very powerful control in this fight. Um, and, of course, the way it ends, you know, so I, I consider this duel essentially from the, that, that first strike to the cutting off his father's hand. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's the thing is, right, Vader knows how to draw Luke into the fight, how, how to really get him angry is – you know, threaten his, threaten his friends and Vader's able to pull, you know, I, I love those shots of Luke hiding in the shadows and he's closing his eyes so tightly trying to keep Vader out of his head and Vader plucks it out like it's nothing. And I always found it interesting that like in force awakens, right? We see Kylo pull something out of Poe, but it takes great effort. Vader just plucks it right out of his mind. And this is another Jedi, you know, Vader has such a powerful use of the force and, and he pulls that out of Luke's mind and immediately uses it for his own advantage. Um, and like you said, Luke just goes berserk against him. And one of my, I think the reason I like this fight also give it the edge over the Empire fight is the, the choir that sings as Luke is just going nuts, right? As he's, as he's venting that yeah. anger and we get the, a choir for the very first time in a duel in Star Wars and it's just so good. So that is my number five. That's a fantastic number five. I love the duel. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it starts off kind of like testing the water, seeing you know, testing each other's abilities because Vader's still pretty much the same. Luke has elevated incredibly since their last duel, yeah. uh, but it's also just got this looming presence of Palpatine over the whole thing, just watching and and taking it in and just gleefully anticipating and enjoying the the carnage emotionally that's going on right here you know yeah so um yeah it's it's a great duel um it's it's my favorite in the original trilogy um yeah uh, it didn't quite make my list though um i'm glad but yeah yeah. i love it yeah well what is your number five Where where are you taking us first tonight just uh we're gonna rewind about uh you know an hour or so in the movie. Um, and we're going to, you know, hover right over the great pit of Carcoon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, particularly, you know, as R2, you know, readies himself with Luke's lightsaber and then launches it up in the air. And we just get, you know, the return of the Jedi uh, in Luke Skywalker wielding his, his saber to defend his friends uh, against the the forces of chaos uh, in Jabba and his his henchman army, there, um, it's it's one of my favorite all time moments in Return of the Jedi in general, um, and just one of my favorite moments 
in Star Wars because the music is fantastic, the uh, action is really fun, and we finally get to see Han, Luke, and Leia working together again uh, with Luke finally being able to show off his Jedi powers that we have uh, gotten glimpses of so far in the movie, but not a full uh, ex- you know view of yet. So I love, I love, love, love this scene. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I love how you, you preface it as like, this is the return of the Jedi. And that's actually the track title on the original vinyl LP f- from 1983 is there's a track called the return of the Jedi. And it's this particular piece. It's the the carcoon fight, the the pit of carcoon fight. And yeah, I mean, this is this is that. I, I remember finding it interesting because I, I assumed that track would be the Luke Invader duel, but it's not. It's this. Um, and yeah, it's it's such a great piece of music, like you said. And I think the so this this is not on my list, but it is definitely one of my favorite moments, not only in Return of the Jedi, but in the original trilogy in in general. Um, this fight always gets me excited because, especially now with all the, the the expanded stories we've gotten about Jabba and his cartel and how dangerous they are, um, it mm-hmm. makes the fight even more impactful because Luke just cuts into these guys like they're nothing, um, and and yeah. not to, and not to glorify it's like the, the, and it's like it's almost like Qui Gon and Obi Wan against battle droids. Yes, you know? exactly, and that, I think that's like a great comparison. So it's it's like. It's not about glorying in the violence of it, but it's more so Luke did everything he could to try to keep it from violence and Vader pull or Vader Jabba pulls the trigger on him. So Luke's got to spring into action. Um, and yeah, like I, I feel like this is a great comparison to what Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan do with the opening of Phantom Menace, right? It's just, all right, well, we have to go into combat mode. Look out <laughs> and look out indeed. Cause Luke is, he's not only is he, a powerful Jedi, but he's also fighting for his friends to save his friends. Um, he's, he's fighting to save who he loves, you know, to quote Rose. Um, and you know, he is a force to be reckoned with pun intended. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, I was actually, I actually, I watched return of the Jedi this afternoon. Um, my old V my special edition VHS tape. And, um, I, uh, was watching it with, with our friend jazz. And, um, you know, I commented how I've always loved that. They added the little, uh, salute from Anakin in the Kadavu arc in clone wars. When he salutes R2 yeah. and R2 shoots the lightsaber out. I, I love that. They, they chose to take that little nod from return of the Jedi. Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, gosh, I, the, the ramp up with the, the music, as everyone gets into place, we get R2 just readying Luke's saber, the salute, Leia's tense and ready for action, Han's looking around like, I don't know what's going on, Lando nods, you know. Um, yeah, it's all fantastic, and then it just turns into amazing, fun action mayhem uh, that's incredible and one of my favorite movements moments in all of star wars so but yes yeah that's my number five yeah i uh, such a great moment love it love it um so for my number four i'm gonna fast forward us about 40 45 minutes later into the movie um and my number four is very similar to my number five and jason i think you won't be surprised if anybody knows me, right? I love those character emotion moments. Um, so this is what my number four is going to be. 
I've always had this conversation and we had this conversation a few weeks ago when we were doing our prequel moments, right? Whether I like the fight between Django and Obi-Wan more than their verbal showdown in Django's apartment, right? Like those are such great moments. I, I struggle to pick which one I prefer. I, I, I like them both so darn much. And my I know number, where you're going now. So my number four <laughs> is Luke and Vader's confrontation on Endor when Luke surrenders himself, right? So this is that verbal showdown. This is that verbal duel. This is Luke's attempt to bring Anakin back through nonviolence. He's going there as a sign of compassion. He's handing himself over, putting himself, trusting in his father's compassion um, in hopes that he can bring him back. And it just doesn't work, um, you know, yeah. and – I, I really, really like this moment, and I just want to cue up a, a quick moment of it real quick here. Come with me. Obi-Wan once thought as you do. You don't know the power of the dark side. I must obey my master. I will not turn, and you'll be forced to kill me. If that is your destiny. Suit your feelings, Father. You can't do this. I feel the conflict within you. Let go of your hate. It is too late for me, son. I I really love the way that that conversation kind of closes where, you know, L- Luke is the one in shackles in this scene. And yet he is in no way <laughs> subservient. Right. Um, no. and, and while while he's in- not enslaved here yeah and you know i love that final plea of like come with me and you know i feel the conflict and you let go of that hate um and and this is the enslaved vader in defeat it's too late for me son right and i think what's really interesting and and as i was thinking about the scene a little bit more today uh, part of what i really love is you know this is what happens when a youthful optimist goes up against a kind of jaded elder, right? Like, I think this is a very real thing in, 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 in real life. Luke is recently coming off of this really intense path of self-discovery, right? I mean, he's, he's a young man. He's stepping into his sense of self. He's, he really is confident in who he is and what he feels called to do, which is redeem his father. He's got all this confidence. He truly believes um, that his father has simply lost sight of who he truly is. So Luke's hoping that by reminding him, you know, you know, this is your true self. You've only forgotten. He's really hoping to break through to Anakin's uh, broken heart. Um, and yeah, I, I just, this work, this moment has just always been such a favorite of mine because, you know, uh, Luke is offering up, you know, to use Campbellian terms, he's offering his boon from his journey, right? You know, the way he even says to Vader, you know, you'll be forced to kill me. Like, it, he he doesn't, he knows his father won't do that. Um, but I do think when Vader calls the stormtroopers in and hands them off to the Emperor, Luke is probably really thinking like, well, I failed. I didn't do it, right? This was my attempt to do that and I failed. Now I'm going to go to the Emperor and just, he is going to assume die at the hand, you know, die before the Emperor because the fleet will show up and kill everybody. Um but yeah, it's it's such a good moment and and I love that like this is Luke is that voice that sometimes those of us who are more jaded by life's experiences, we need those folks who are coming out of those journeys of self-discovery and hearing what they've learned about themselves. And 
I think that optimism they bring with them can remind us about parts of ourselves that we've lost sight of. And so I really love how Luke is offering that to Vader in this scene. And after Luke has marched off, the scene closes with Vader, right? And I, I, I've, I love how he puts his hand on the railing and then there's just that deep sigh, you know, of because I, I, Anakin is coming up. And I think he's just like, what do I do now? Right. I, I really think he's just he's so unsettled in a way he's never been in a long time. Um, so Luke got no. through Luke. Def- Luke Luke marches off thinking he failed, but he he got through. And I love that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, it's 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 a fantastic scene. And, you know, one of one of the best acting performances that Darth Vader ever, ever ha- has yeah. in this between, uh, you know, James Earl Jones and whoever was in the suit at the time, um, you know, probably, probably David probably Prowse, David Prowse, Prowse sure. yeah. he, he didn't, David Prowse didn't do a ton of the fighting stuff at that point, but I'm pretty sure he was in most yeah. of the other stuff. But yeah. So, um, so yeah, who the David Prowse and James Earl Jones, just the acting between the two of them to create Darth Vader in that moment is it's one of his best performances in the entire saga bar none. Um, and it, it's, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> tickle. <laughs> it's such a poignancy. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to get some water. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're taking the water there. Um, I, I think it's even, this is one of those moments where I really appreciate the Darth Vader breath, right? It's one of the most iconic sounds of Star Wars, just the the way that they choose to make the breath there. They make the breath a sigh. Again, so there's just the brilliance of sound design yeah. there. So I don't know if that's directly Ben Burt in that moment or, or not, but um, right, just, there's even like a brilliance in that silence of how they use the breathing of Vader to, to just encapsulate that, that melancholy that's rising in him. Yeah, no, it's it's very good. It's it's extremely good, and the the desire, the the passion that Luke has to save his father um, and to bring Anakin back and to destroy Vader by bringing Anakin back um, is most clearly seen here, and and it's this is. The, you know, this is where that, that emergence of Anakin later on in the movie starts. So, um, this is why Vader is able to turn and become Anakin Skywalker again. If this conversation didn't happen, I don't think the movie would have ended the same way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so what is your number four? My number four. Uh, we're gonna go to the Empire Strikes Back, Carl. Great movie. Um, this is this is the one that I don't think was on my list at all uh, last time we did this. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna go to my least favorite planet of all. Yes, Dagobah. Great. Uh, and it. we're gonna watch Yoda lift the X-wing out of the swamp. <laughs> 
I'm going to stop you right there because that's also my number three. So we'll talk about this for a few minutes. Let's do it. <laughs> Woo! Awesome. No, it's a great scene. And this scene is definitely something that um, has been raised in my, my estimation since we've started podcasting together, Carl. So um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but I absolutely love this scene because it really does show us that, you know, the force really can do almost anything. Uh, and it's just a very magical and mystical scene. I love the look of it, the, the music in it. Um, and then just the, the, you know, importance that this scene has in Luke's own training and journey. Um, as he realizes that he is far shortchanging what he is capable of, what anyone is capable of when they rely on the force um, is, is brought into focus here. And, you know, the X-Wing just slowly rises out of the swamp, dripping with nasty water and, you know, weeds and everything hanging over it. And then it lands ever so gently on solid ground and Luke has to walk around it and touch it just to believe that it actually happened and he's not imagining things and he just tells you to, I don't believe it. That is why you fail. And it's one of the most poignant lessons and truths that Yoda teaches Luke uh, in this this period. Um, and and I really just love it so much. It's a great moment, um, which is why it's my number three. <laughs> Um, I think it's one of the most beautifully spiritual moments in all of the Star Wars movies. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I some of the stuff with Chirrut and Rogue One for sure it's up there. Uh, you got you got some great stuff in in Last Jedi, but I think this is this is the moment like that also encapsulates the magic that is the Force, right? Because that's what the Force really is in the Star Wars world. It's meant to be something magical and mystical. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like you, Jason, I, I, I love this moment for that reason. And uh, it's also um, th- these scenes on Dagobah that Lawrence Kasdan wrote with a bit of the help from Irvin Kirshner, actually, is these are all moments that are drawing upon Zen Buddhist teachings. And at the time, Lawrence Kasdan was really into Zen Buddhism. I don't know if he was a frequent practitioner or not. I have to do a little more research, but that was more of his thing. And you know, the, the, the mysticism of Empire Strikes Back is Zen Buddhist and Taoist. It's it's primarily Eastern traditions. It's not Christian Western traditions, um, which mm-hmm. I also think is just really neat because in the 70s there was, right, like or in the early 80s for that matter, but coming out of the 70s culturally, like Western Christian traditions were really viewed negatively by a lot of, you know, the Western world. So the brilliance of drawing from Eastern traditions to, to remind people of the importance of mystical spirituality, um, but giving it to them from a place they're not familiar with, I just think is brilliant. Um, and, you know, so Yoda's ultimately what he's trying to teach Luke is that, you know, the force, the Tao is everywhere and you have to have a connection to it. You have to feel it. You have to, you know, you have to have a relationship with it. Um, and, and Mm -hmm. I love that that is, you know, that's what Yoda's whole discourse ultimately is, is, you know, a Jedi is immersed in the flow of the force and that is what allows you to do anything right to do the impossible. And like you said, right, 
Luke sees that X-Wing lifted, he sees the impossible made possible, which immediately made me think of, once again, similar, Qui-Gon attacking the, the battle droid control ship at the beginning of Phantom Menace, and Newt Gunray says, this is impossible. That's the whole idea of the Force. It does the impossible. And also from the, the new High Republic novel, Light of the Jedi, Avar Chris literally says, through the Force, all things are possible. Um, right? So this is Yoda doing that. Yoda is showing Luke that, you know, you may think this isn't possible, but it is. And I'm going to show you how. Um, and and I, I love that subtle touch. I, I, I'm always curious if that was written in the, like, the screenplay acting notes or... Was this a Mark Hamill improv to reach out and touch it? I feel like that probably was written in. I don't I don't I would doubt that was an improv, but I love that he has to touch it because, again, while the, while the teachings of the force in that moment are purely Zen, Luke's response is so doubting Thomas from from the Gospel of John. Right. You know, I need to oh, touch. Yeah. I need to touch the risen Jesus to truly believe, which is a valid thing to say, <laughs> especially in, in the heat of that moment. Um, so for Luke to have to just reach out and touch it and still struggle to believe, right? It's what he just witnessed is such a challenge and an upheaval to his everyday existence that, you know, he's really struggling to believe it. But w- the wonderful in life is often hard to believe. Um, but we do ourselves such a service when we do surrender and accept that the wonderful can exist and that we can be a channel of the wonderful. Um, and that's what Yoda teaches Luke in that moment is that Luke is just as capable to channel the impossible. Um, so yeah, I, I, this moment is just, this is the, the heart and soul of star Wars spirituality to me is that right. Like George has always said, it's the ability to believe in yourself got to believe in yourself you got to believe that that the wonderful movements of life's force itself can can be harnessed even by you um so yeah that's my number three jason i mean i'm gonna just pick you out on one last thing uh that you yeah. mentioned uh there is that yoda is teaching luke that he has to have a connection with this a relationship to to this thing uh he very much is seeing the force as a tool you know, uh, through a new hope, just from the, the, you know, short amount of training he's able to have with Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan has to give him a crash course on the basics and then how he's using it in the earlier part of Empire Strikes Back. Yoda has been trying to unlearn what he has learned in that respect uh, throughout his trainings um, here and to, you know, bring Luke to this place of, it is a living thing. It is a relationship. It is a an actual connection that flows in and out of you that you have to be in tune with. Um, it's not just a tool. And this is the moment where that all kind of clarifies for Luke. Because up to that point, he's still struggling. You know, he tries to lift the the X-Wing, but it fails because he doesn't have that connection. He's still trying to use it, not move through it. Um, and, and that's, you know, this is where Yoda, you know, a 900 year old little green toad in the middle of the swamp is able to just sit there on the edge and almost casually lift this huge starfighter out of the swamp. And place it securely on solid ground. So, yeah, yeah. love that. 
Um, well, since I just flew right into my three, what is your number three? Oh, my number three. Uh, this is my only one that we're going to go uh, all the way back to A New Hope with. Nice. Um, and, and I have to put this in here because it has my, you know, two of my very favorite characters of all time in it. And this is the moment that exemplifies who they are to me. Um, it is R2 and 3PO bickering in the escape <laughs> pod hallway on the Tantive 4. Just, you know, you can't go in there. It's restricted. Don't call me a mindless philosopher, you glum of Greece. Now get out of the port before somebody sees you. What mission? What are you talking about? I'm not getting in there. You know, explosion. Oh, I'm going to regret this. You know, <laughs> all of that. You know, and then it extends down into their, their bickering on Tatooine as well. But just R2 and 3PO and their the establishing of their relationship. They are droids. They're not supposed to have these kinds of thoughts and emotions. But they are an old married couple or just like brothers who can't stop bickering. It's it's absolutely fantastic and amazing. And even though R2 doesn't speak a lick of understandable English, you understand everything he's trying to say. And 3PO is just so over the top in his, you know, gasps and reactions that I absolutely love this pair so much. Um, so I... I, I had to pick a moment with these two, and this is the moment that just sort of defines R2 and 3PO for me. So I, I could pick any number of scenes from the original trilogy. I could have picked them, you know, complaining about the fact that they flooded Leia's chambers on Hoth, you know, in Echo Base. Um, you know, just some <laughs> of their their... You know, go that way. You've been malfunctioning with a day. You never start a scrap pile. You know, all of that stuff. I could do pick any of those things, but this is the moment that I was like, yeah, no, this is R two and three PO to me, um, right there on the Tantive Four. It's such a yeah. It's it gives me such a chuckle watching that moment so much because they're so darn funny together. You know the way they argue yes. and yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, here we go. Let's, you know what? Don't you call me a mindless philosopher, you overweight glob of grease. Now come on before somebody sees you. Secret mission? What plans? What are you talking about? I'm not getting in there. I'm going to regret this. <laughs> yes, you are, 3PO. You are going to regret this. Um, <laughs> you I just regret everything. Uh, I, yeah, 3PO I, is i love the way he just you know like why are you talking what are you talking about he's so confused like he has no idea what r2 is getting on about and and i think this is the classic moment of them jason because it it really does introduce their personalities r2 is the determined kind of rebellious i mean necessarily rebellious but he's he's the loyal uh, faithful one who's going to get after the mission no matter what whereas 3po is the one who sticks to protocol sticks in the like this is what i'm supposed to do this is what i'm not supposed to do right so you have the one who worries yes so i mean that little moment defines them so perfectly um yeah i i love it yeah that's a great one i don't have a ton to say about it but it because it's it's just a, a moment in time but it is such such the defining moment of these two characters. And I will never forget being introduced to them, uh, you know, back in the theaters in 1997, watching star Wars for the first time. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's that in the, there's such a comedy to the moment, you know. It's great. Oh, absolutely. It, it's it's been a moment where it's just you know nonstop action and terror and all this stuff from the bad guys taking over the good guy's ship at the beginning of the movie, and then you just get this yeah. right in the middle of it. It's like, oh, I mean, it's nice. We needed a moment to breathe, but like, what? <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh. It's, it's great. Um, all, all right. right. Well, my number, number two, two, sir. I have a feeling this will be on your list, but I could be wrong. Um, I'm okay. going to take us back to the Death Star two in Return of the Jedi. Never. I'll never turn to the dark side. You failed, Your Highness. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. So be it, Jedi. Uh, of course, the iconic "I am a Jedi." <laughs> um, I assume that's so very on, good. Is it on your list? I should just ask now. I will be reserving comment. Okay, great. Um. So yes, this is this is my number two. Uh, so much good stuff. I mean, this is a moment I know we have talked about a lot over the many years, but it's always worth revisiting. Um, so it's, I, I want to start by just giving a quick shout out to Sam Witwer. Uh, a long time ago, was on uh, doing an audio commentary of this movie. And mentions how this is the moment when Luke is a man. I love the way Sam Witwer says the word man. He says man. So this is, you know, Luke is Luke is a man. Um, and it, it really is. This is Luke's first real big statement of who he is, what he's about, and what's important to him. You know, now, again, for a lot of Star Wars fans, myself included, um, you know, we seem to see this moment as the definitive moment and only moment of def- definition for Luke's entire life, which is a bit foolish. He's a 22-year-old kid. You know, he's still got a lot of life to live. Um, so that, all that to say, but in this moment, and especially in this movie, this is the end of his journey. This is the character that, you know, we're kind of invited to follow along and identify with. And in this moment, he chooses how he's going to be a Jedi, right? throws that lightsaber away and chooses selfless love, right? Which is the ultimate message of star Wars. George Lucas has been adamant about that for, you know, 40 years. Um, so in my head, Canon, Jason, in this moment, when Luke is looking at Vader's hand, right. And he looks at his own and he looks at his, his, his lit lightsaber and chooses to turn it off in my head. It's because Luke has some sort of whisper from the force about, you know, be a Jedi. You know, it's nothing definitive. Luke gets to define what that will look like, but he's so connected to the force, even in this moment that it calls out to him. Um, and he listens. Now this is Jason. This is me getting into just fun speculation for a moment. If you, if you'll humor me, um, I love, I love in attack of the clones when Anakin's about to slaughter the Tuscans and you hear Qui-Gon yelling his name, right? But Anakin clearly can't hear it or doesn't want to hear it or simply doesn't listen. I think it would actually be quite beautiful if you just had a whisper in the back of Luke's head from Obi-Wan, like Alec Guinness just saying, Luke, you know, just one word. And that's like, I, I think, I feel like that would just be so cool. Like if that would, it was like, like edited it in, you just hear Obi-Wan say his name 
And, and it's just, it's enough to shake him back and to remember all the things he's learned from his two beloved teachers. And he knows that no, a Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense, not for attack, certainly not for murder. You know, he turns off that lightsaber and chooses to be the hero. He's the hero because he believes that his father is worth loving. You know, even though his father has been a monster for so much of his life and Luke has experienced some of that monstrosity, Luke chooses to see the good in him and and surrenders to that love knowing that there will be consequences, right? Like whenever I watch this clip, I feel like it is important to leave in the line from the Emperor, so be it, Jedi, right? Because... That is the statement of, all right, when you choose love, especially selfless love, a lot of times there are some tough consequences. And Luke says yes to them. And that's why he's the hero. That's why this moment is so damn good. Love all of that. Uh, like I said, I'm going to reserve comment for <laughs> one more round. <laughs> yeah, all right. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so uh, what is your number two? My number two is possibly one of the most Jason moments on this list. Um, it's a trap. Oh, uh, so, so good. Really? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's just the beginning of the the battle for Endor. Uh, we get the space battle, you know, occurring. Uh, the the rebel fleet comes out, and it's just the the ramp up and the build up. I just get so excited with the music and the tension of this scene, and then the you know the star destroyers and the tie fighters come in from behind, and uh, just it's a trap. Uh, you know, I uh, I freaking love it. It's just it's it's this great build up that happens. You know, with the the forces on Endor. Leading up to this point, as soon as that music starts, they break into the bunker and it's just like, ah, I love it so much. It's <laughs> one of my favorite. It's it's my favorite, you know, act in all of the original trilogy, uh, possibly in all of Star Wars. Um, there's a couple of acts out there that are very highly rated on my list as well. Act three of Attack of the Clones, Act three of Rogue One in contention. Um, but that being said, it. It's probably my favorite act in all of Star Wars well, is you. Act Three: Return of the Jedi, and this is the kickoff for all of it. I'm gonna, I'm so gonna, I'm gonna let this scene play out here for a second. Break off the attack. Yeah. The shield is still up. I got no reading. Are you sure? Pull up, all crap. Pull up. Take a base of action. Green group, skip past the holding sector and each other. We have enemy ships in sector 27. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is such a, I love the way you, it is. It's just the kickoff to, you know, to quote Anakin, this is where the fun begins. Exactly. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I don't have any like super deep reason as to why I love this. It's just like, it's the kickoff to my favorite part of Star Wars, you know, um, is the the third act of Return of the Jedi. So ev- everything from that point on in the movie is my favorite Star Wars. So yeah, it's great. And, you know, I th- obviously it's not on my list. Um, I do love this moment so much. And I think it is a nice reminder, though, that even the best laid plans can go awry <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, oh yeah. It's they didn't see this coming at all 
Um, and now they have to make the choice of what are you going to do with it, right? Um, so, yeah, it's great. It, it, it kicks off so much. The music from the get-go, even though they show up expecting this to be like an in-and-out fight, right? The shield's going to be down. We're going to go mm-hmm. in. We're going to take this out. But the music is telling a totally different story. The tension is just beginning. <laughs> oh, yeah. So kudos to, oh, yeah. to the maestro himself, Mr. John Williams. Um, yeah, such a great moment. I, I love that that is on your list. It's so cool. I had no idea we were going to go there. So thank you for taking us. You're welcome. You're welcome. I will take us there anytime. <laughs> All right. Well, what about you, sir? What is your number one moment? in all of the original trilogy. Well, let me preface by saying I love how you mentioned that you know your your appreciation for Dagobah has been affected by me over all these years just like my love of Jar Jar has been affected by you. But another thing just as far as podcasting goes that has rubbed off on me apparently as of late was when we used to do lists like this, Jason would lump stuff together all the time. He'd be like like, "Oh, what's your what's your favorite, you know, fill in the blank?" And Jason would be like, "Well, this whole section of the movie." And it's like, "That's not a moment, but whatever, I love it." So I'm I'm pulling a Jason. My number 1, I I'm titling it Han's Dilemma, and it's of course a sequence of events in Empire Strikes Back. It's the so I will be honest, so my absolute favorite moment in Star Wars the at least the old the original trilogy possibly all of star wars is the betrayal at 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 dinner or lunch or breakfast i don't know what meal we're going to but the betrayal on bespin that is my favorite moment so let me preface with that but that's the beginning of what i call han's dilemma um so betrayed it you know by his friend um you know it's they're there on cloud city expecting safe safe haven Finally, you know, they've been able to breathe for the first time in the movie, really. You know, Hoth, everything is tenuous. Then they've been chased for a third of the movie through an asteroid field and across space and time. Han is finally at a place where he feels safe. He feels safe with this friend of his, and then he's betrayed, right? Um, Han is clearly someone who doesn't trust easily. And this is a reminder of why he probably doesn't because – and again, I'm, this is not saying Lando is at fault. Like Lando did what he had to do. But for Han in mm-hmm. that moment, it's great. The one person I thought I might be able to trust from this part of my world let me down, right? So that's just the beginning. And then, of course, the torture scene. Um, I weirdly have always <laughs> weirdly enjoyed that scene. I don't know why. Harrison Ford is a very good screamer. That's, I don't know what that says about me, and I'm really nervous. But, um, but actually, so, um, not, so a, a few months back, I was actually on a friend of ours podcast, Michael Cohen's, uh, one of his Thunderquack podcasts. And we, were, we randomly talked about the torture scene. And Mike brought up a really great point that helped me appreciate this moment even more. And, and Mike mentioned how the torture scene is ultimately about, you know, Han, Han kind of has this determined look on his face right before he's lowered onto the rack. Probably like this is a moment for Han to be a hero. He he expects them to torture him for some sort of information. And, you know, the heroic thing for Han to do is just take the torture, not give them anything. But they don't even ask him any questions. So they rob him the opportunity to even be a hero. Right. So this moment is purely just belittling Han for all he knows. It's causing pain for the sake of causing pain. Again, we know why Vader's doing this, right? He's doing it to to draw in Luke, but Han has no damn clue. At this moment, it's just he's being made to suffer for the sake of suffering, which is pretty terrible. Um and I think all all of this too 
Um, and then obviously I'm going to tie it into the, the, the final part of his dilemma is being frozen in carbonite. All of this stuff, though, is Han's past catching up to him. You know, it's the reason Boba Fett is after him is to bring him back to Jabba. Han has a past that I think for him, he was finally starting to be able to let go of, to, to be free of. But here it is coming to reclaim him. Um, and, you know, it's this reminder, specifically in Empire Strikes Back, that Han's decision to stay loyal to his friendship and his and his compassion for Luke and Leia has some consequences now, right? Again, similar to the point I was just making with Luke, right? That that decision to be selfless, that decision to love others, often comes at a price, sadly. And for Han, that's to be put into carbonite. So I want to play just this one brief brief moment as he's about to be put into carbonite that really exemplifies just how much he loves Leia as well as his best friend Chewbacca. Oops. I uh, forgot to turn the volume on. <laughs> Listen to me! Chewie! <laughs> Chewie, this won't help me! Hey! Save your strength. It'll be another time. The princess, you have to take care of her. You hear me? Huh? knows she loves him um yeah i i you know i mean so yes i am really cheating here by lumping three things together um but it really (laughs) it really all flushes itself out in its own way you know han is given up you know he's betrayed um you know okay i'm gonna make some really loose ridiculous comparisons here but it's similar to the passion narrative at least in the way it plays out the passion narrative you know of of jesus and in the gospels which is it's a character who is betrayed by someone he cares about someone who is ridiculed and tortured for the sake of ridicule and torture and then ultimately selflessly gives themselves up now granted Han Solo really can't get out of this. He's not going to be able to bargain with Vader like, well, what else can I do so that you don't freeze me and I possibly die, right? Like, there is no bargaining for him at this point. But still, he doesn't just go out, you know, so while the torture scene robbed him from getting to do anything heroic, this is his moment to be heroic. And what does he do? Again, I know I've made this point before, but he entrusts his best friend to the woman he loves and the woman he loves to his best friend, right? He really wants them to be okay, even if he doesn't make it out of this. And again, like I I love how in Solo, Kira essentially does that for Han when she's going to leave him. Like he doesn't know she's about to leave. But when she says, go save Chewbacca, he needs you and you're going to need him. Right. She's entrusting him to someone who's going to love and care for him in a way that she cannot. So in that moment, Han, for all he knows, is going to go and he's going to die when this when he's frozen. So before he goes, his last wish, it's nothing for himself. It's for him to make sure that the people he loves most have one another and that they'll be okay even if he's not part of their life anymore. So very similar to my second point, which I know we're about to revisit in a second here for you, but it's that message of selfless love, right? This is Han's, to me, this is Han's most heroic moment, except for, you know, I would also probably tie it with his moment with Kylo in in Force Awakens. Um, but yeah, this is, this is Han. He's, his old life has caught up to him, 
but he's not the same Han anymore. And his response to it is very different. You know, he's not going to he's not going to be with Chewie and try to grab a blaster from a stormtrooper and shoot his way out of it. It's he surrenders to it. He surrenders to the consequences of his love. Um, And again, that's what a hero does. And and I I sure love me. Empire Strikes Back Han Solo. (laughs) So that is my number one. Uh, That's it's a great sequence of events. Um, And. You know, uh, we've talked about each of those moments quite a bit uh, over the years, so um, they do flow very nicely together. Um, they offer a, a very nice kind of whole snapshot of everything that Han has gone through um, in Empire Strikes Back in particular, but just how far he's come since we first met him in the Mos Eisley Cantina. Yeah. So... Um, it's a it's a great sequence, uh, and I like it. Okay, so why is the the dinner betrayal your favorite out of those three? I think it's just because every it, it, it's a part, A lot of it is just the nostalgia of that was the moment that always as a kid made me kind of jump out of my seat. And in my head, I always wondered like, oh, what would happen if Darth Vader and Han Solo fought each other? This moment settles that question very quickly, right? Like there's a – as cool and as suave and as great with a gun as Han is. Like he is the gunslinger. He's got that fast draw, but it doesn't mean a damn thing against Darth Vader. And there's part of me that has just kind of always identified with the fact that there are a lot of times in life just forces you're going to go up against that you just don't stand a chance against. And and that's just the, yeah. that's the reality of it, and it sucks. <laughs> like there's 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 no like there's no like well it's okay because it's just like no it just sucks. Like there's sometimes things you just run into in life where you throw every you, you throw your best at it right. Like so this is Han like he's pulling out that quick draw. I mean he would he probably would have dropped most normal humans you know or alien species whatever in a quick draw fight any day of the week, but not Darth Vader right. Like it's. The best of who you can be, the best of your skills, and as honed as they are, there's just sometimes going to be people out there who you just you you just can't top. And I think that there's yeah there's a lot of humility in that. I, this is the, Han gets humbled hard. <laughs> so yeah yeah it's a it's a big humbling moment yeah uh, for sure. Um, no, it's it's good. It, it's a really it's an intense scene because you think oh man maybe he's good. Nope, never mind. Uh, you know, it's just like Vader doesn't even need his lightsaber. Right. He just lifts his hand. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh, this is bad. Yeah. This is real bad for everybody. Yep. Um, and, and I love Chewie's roar in that scene too. When, when Vader's revealed and Chewie roars, like it's, it's a roar we've never heard from Chewie before. I mean, it is a, it's, it's a ferocious battle call really, you know? And, yeah. and and Han's ferocious battle call is to just grab the gun and start shooting. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah. Right. No, it's great. That's great. I love it. All right. So everybody knows what my number one is. Um, <laughs> my number one is, you know, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. Uh, and then, as you said, it, you have to have the follow up of Soviet Jedi. And I have to have the follow-up because I have to have at least at some point quote Emperor Palpatine in this episode. Um, um, But it is is the moment that defines Luke in the original trilogy. Um, 
we see him go from a uh, a starstruck, idealistic uh, farm boy who is picturing himself as the hero of his own story there on Tatooine as he watches the twin suns set. Um, and it is a, a, a very identifiable moment that we can all kind of latch on to. And then we see him grow over the course of the three movies to this point where he is humble and sure and strong in himself and who his father is, what his lineage is, um, accepts that and then accepts that that doesn't have to define the choices that he makes here. Because you know, not only is it his familial lineage, but it's also his lineage as a Jedi up to this point. Because Obi-Wan and Yoda seem to give him the directive to destroy Vader um, and the Emperor uh, in a way that seems a bit more in line with how they were operating in the prequels than than the way they're, you know, they're trying to operate here in the original trilogy. Um, and Luke goes, okay, but we're going to do it the Jedi way. And this is when that all comes to pass. He tries, like in one of your other moments, I think it was your number three, when, you know, Vader and Luke had their conversation on the catwalk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Love but this is where... <laughs> They were yeah. <laughs> just getting off their modeling tour. <laughs> Sorry. But th- this is where um <laughs> this is where he does it for real because this is where his he's threatened. Like this statement of who he is will get him killed. Mm-hmm. And he does it anyway. Um because he throws away his lightsaber and he declares to the Sith Lord himself, the Emperor of the Galactic, uh, uh, of the Galactic Empire. That was anyway um, <laughs> the the most powerful evil person in the universe currently uh, is going to be very pissed at this statement, and he does it anyway because it's who he is. It's the right thing to do, and he's following the will of the Force in this moment. Uh, and it almost gets him killed. And he thinks he's going to die, and he's made peace with that. He's made peace with that even before he stepped into that throne room. Um, you know, and we see that when he tells Palpatine, you know, soon I'll be dead, and you with me. Um, earlier on, he's already made peace with all of this, and that is another, you know, another aspect of what it is to be a Jedi, you know, you're going to have those moments where, you know, sometimes being a Jedi means you give yourself up for those around you for the greater good. Uh, and he's already come to terms with that. And in this case, the force decides, no, you know what? We're going to reward you for this Luke. And, uh, things end up differently than he anticipates. Um, but it is this moment where against all odds, uh, you know, I can't imagine Luke has had a chance to sense if his friends are still alive. If the fleet, the rebel fleet is still even fighting. 
I mean, he can probably hear some explosions, but, you know, for all he knows, that's the entire rebel fleet crumbling around them. Um, you know, I, I, I get the sense that he's not able to reach out to Leia and Han. Uh, and even if he does get a sense from Leia, it probably got a bit overwhelmed by her, you know, getting shot. Like that moment of pain is probably what he felt if he felt anything, you know, so nothing is going the way that he thinks, you know, they were hoping for, at least according to where he can see at this point. And he still does the Jedi thing and still makes that statement reigns in and controls his anger against his father and becomes the Jedi that he was supposed to be the Jedi that Anakin was supposed to be. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the powerful, the most powerful and most beautiful moments in all of star Wars to me. So, yeah, I yeah. obviously agree. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't really have anything to add because yeah, I'm in kind of complete agreement there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, uh, you know, we have talked about this moment a lot over the years and it's never, it's not going to stop. We will continue to talk <laughs> about this moment for years to come. Ladies and gentlemen, just, uh, you know, prepare yourselves for it because it's just, you know, it's in our top two for both of us, uh, in terms of original trilogy moments. So you're, you're never escaping this scene. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, and if I may, I'm just going to just connect this real quick to, right, so like I, when I talked about it, it kind of opened with the, the fact that, you know, for a lot of Star Wars fans, this is this is the premier Luke Skywalker moment. So to see Luke the where he's at in, you know, episode eight later on, it's like, well, no, like that, that that's just not the same Luke. But it's like, well, when you're in your 60s, are you the same as you were when you were 23? Probably not. <laughs> You know, Luke, like Vader on the catwalk scene, is in need of some youthful optimism to remind me who he is, which is exactly what happens between Ray and Yoda coming back. And Luke does the exact same thing at the end of episode eight that he does here in Return of the Jedi, which is go out and face re face the truth of who you are and deal with the consequences, right? Like he knows that he can't kill his father and he knows he's not he's not there to kill Ben. Right? He's not there to kill Kylo in episode 8. Um he's there to try to 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 teach him something new and better. Um so mm -hmm. you know like I think the reason we love this moment in return of the Jedi is because yes, it is the 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 pinnacle heroic moment for Luke. Um and he remember I would say like he almost remembers that by going back to well by force projecting to crate is he's going back to that heroic stand of I'm I'm not here to do violence I'm here to do my part in saving someone um so yeah anyway I just I just yeah. felt like oh, I mean, uh, it, that is a great point because the end of the last Jedi um that is the same Luke as we see here yeah you know yeah. And, and, and when your I, true self you've only forgotten exactly is what he tells vader yes right it's that it's and that. 
and that's when he has to be reminded of that himself. Yes. You know, exactly. And right. Like falling away from that doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you a failure. It means living through life and life is hard. And the thing is, is Luke has to f- refine the heart of who he is again, which, right, if he doesn't, it's just kind of a boring character. So, again, I bring that up. Honestly, Jason, part of me is the reason I'm thinking of it is um, later this week, we, we're getting that new episode of The Gallery where we're going to get a look behind the scenes to that finale of Mandalorian season two with the decision to bring Luke in. And I've already seen so much of that toxic discourse online that just drives me crazy, which is, you know, like this was the the Luke we deserve. That's my Luke. Right. And like just a reason to like crap all over episode eight again, or crap on Ryan Johnson. Um, and, And I just, I just don't agree with it. So like, it's also got me thinking about like, these aren't mutually exclusive characters and to think that they are is frankly childish. Um, you know, uh, it's so I'm just saying that now it's my way of prefacing. Like I, I, I don't plan on engaging that toxicity that I know it's already starting. Um, but at the same time, it's just like, you know, the Luke you saw at the end of Mandalorian is the same Luke that you saw at the end of Return of the Jedi and the same Luke you saw in The Last Jedi. Stop trying to make them separate. Right. Like I know everybody just wants the Luke who cuts down battle droids and kicks butt. But if that's all Luke is, he's a very useless character. He's a very surfaced level character, right? All of those, all three of those movements are, a, are, are a very human progression um, and a very Jedi progression for that character. So um, uh, I, I don't mean to like, end this on like a down note, this has been such a great fun episode. And, and but it's just, I, for those of you who listen to us, especially if you're listening to us this week, you know, before the, that final gallery episode comes out, uh, I'm not trying to pick fights. I'm not trying to harass anybody, but just more a, a, a reminder that if you are su- if you were like me, and I think you as well, Jason, like we loved seeing Luke at the end of Mandalorian season two, but to see that as an mm-hmm. invitation to attack this other version is just like it's ridiculous. Uh, Even if you still hate that version of Luke from Episode Eight, that's fine. It didn't work for you, but don't feel the I mean that compulsion to be like, see, this is what we deserved, and f that other thing. It's just like stop it. Just like grow up. This is why, this is why I don't do social media because social media, it's full of people who look for moments to make their attacks on things they don't like. Yeah. Um, which is so much wasted energy. Number one, it's, it, it's a waste of your own energy. Stop it. That's dumb. Two, you're going to have, feel a whole lot better about yourself and the way you interact with people, if you just talk about the things you do like, um, and three, come on, folks, we're supposed to be a big, happy Star Wars loving community. Let people enjoy what they like and don't try and just say, oh, well, that's not Star Wars because, well, you're not making it. They are. <laughs> I'm not making it. I would have made the sequels differently if I was in charge. But I'm not the one at Lucasfilm writing the scripts and making the movies. So, um, you know, we're going to take what we get and you're going to have to do the best with it as you can. So focus on the positive, not the negative. Like, seriously, it's not worth the time, energy and arguments. It's yeah. just dumb. Yeah. Yeah. It's a waste of energy, right? Like if, if you, if you, if something new came in that you loved, it's like, oh yeah, this was the Luke I really wanted to see. Cool. You got to see it. 
but that doesn't mean the other one is crap or that you have to hate it. Right. So, um, this moment in return of the Jedi, it's Luke choosing to be a Jedi, which in the moment means nonviolence, throwing away the lightsaber. That's what it means to be a Jedi in the Mandalorian. So why he's choosing to be a Jedi. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, So here's the thing. If that's Luke, this is one of our favorite moments in the original trilogy. Why don't you choose to be the Jedi? Choose the nonviolent way in your social media, huh? Huh? If yeah. that's Luke, you like? Why don't you emulate him? <laughs> yeah, they're not gonna. Um, and 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 their I'm interpretation sorry. of I, Luke I, and, I and, and <laughs> <laughs> well, like in Mandalorian, that's Luke being a Jedi who's fighting to protect a defenseless child, right? That's yes. what it means to be a Jedi. Yes. Um, you know, so he has those abilities in Episode Eight. He chose to be a Jedi by walking away because he thought that was the best thing. He thought he was creating more of a problem by perpetuating the cycle. So he walks away. He thought that was the Jedi thing to do. And then he learns it wasn't. So he goes and does the other Jedi thing to do, which is face up to his failure and and say sorry. <laughs> like, it's great. It's it's really brilliant. <laughs> um, they're all, all of those moments are Luke Skywalker Jedi Knight. <laughs> um so, yeah. Anyway, so excuse us for this rant. Hopefully, you enjoyed the the listing episode. But uh, and if you know if you are one of those folks who who still really hates episode eight, Luke, that's fine. Like I'm not here to try to tell you you're wrong or convince you otherwise. But just more of a reminder, like you said, Jason, to to go that Jedi route. If you know if you're excited about this, just say that you love it and say why you love it so much. But it doesn't have to be I love this because I hate that. <laughs> Right. Like that's just like, right. what? <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> right. It's counterintuitive. It's it's just a waste of energy. Like, seriously, folks, if you don't like something, you can tell people why you don't like it, but keep it respectful and you don't have to find ways to say how it's wrong. Yeah, because it's wrong. It might be wrong in your opinion it's not going to be wrong in everyone else's opinion and some of us are like well that's not the way i would do it but that's fine with me you know yeah like me that's how i view it yeah. so some of us are kind of in the middle on it and that's okay too yeah yeah so um but there you have it there you have our our top five moments from the original trilogy you have some of our closing thoughts on the wonder of luke skywalker and 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 the the many and a bonus tangent. <laughs> yeah yeah um because luke skywalker like all of us human beings are very layered individuals right who go through cycles in life and and that's what makes hero stories incredible is that they go through the cycles of life and and act as a mirror for us to how to respond to things in life um and and luke Mm -hmm. does that in every incarnation he's in um and and i think that's quite wonderful um but anyway jason there we have it uh if you're listening now and you didn't get a chance to to send us your favorite moment or even you want to send us some of your favorite moments again we love to hear what other people love in in these types of lists so you know feel free to just tell us some more of your favorite moments from the original trilogy we always love to hear that um and like i said you know uh next episode we're going to be joined by riley blanton and have a you know really looking forward to this conversation both on all the wonderful things riley has brought to the star wars community and the podcast community um and and looking a little bit about the evolution of star wars podcasts from our own experience over the past you know 10 years um, I think it's going to be a really fun discussion and, and I'm hoping you will join us for it. Um, yes. 
Uh, but yes, we, indeed. Before we go, we have a very fun matchup for you. Uh, very <laughs> much a, a, a Carl, a Carl or Jason type matchup, if you will. Um, and this is a, a, a simple. It's a poll slash matchup. It's one and the same, really. It's which is really, who's your favorite duo of the original trilogy? Is it R two and three PO, or Han and Chewbacca? I mean, you know where Jason and yeah. I both land. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there is no doubt about which one either of us are voting for. So the question is, who do you prefer? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Which these duos are? I mean, right? They're the, probably the most iconic duos in Star Wars, except for maybe also Anakin and Obi Wan. Um, but uh, right, I you know Han and Chewie, three PO and R two, as iconic as you can get. So we want to know. Which of those two duos is your favorite? Absolutely. And Carl, uh, if people want to weigh in on our topic, you know, any last minute thoughts on their favorite moments from the original trilogy, if they want to weigh in on that matchup or just anything else uh, Star Wars related, where can people get in contact with us? Well, we are on Twitter at Wampa's Lair. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore Wampa's Lair. And you can always email us at wampaslayerpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, anything else before we close down this podcast, sir? Uh, it's been a fun one. It's been a very fun one. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This has been episode number 434, Top 10 Original Trilogy Moments, Part 2. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair. Wampa's Lair.